Hi, Killjoys. Rachel here with a brief message before we start the show. So the Feminist Killjoys PhD podcast has partnered with its very first sponsor, and I hope you all know that Melody and I would not participate in sponsorship if we didn't actually believe in what the sponsor was doing. So I'm very proud and excited to share that we are currently sponsored by the MA in Critical Studies program at the Pacific Northwest College of Art because we need to interrogate, intervene, and reimagine like never before. For more information or to apply, visit pnca.edu slash critical studies. You're listening to Feminist Killjoys, Ph.D., an hour of feminism, pop culture, and politics, as discussed by two professional Killjoys. I'm Rachel. And I'm Melody. And today, we'll be discussing Roseanne and representations of the working class on television. But first, Melody, how are you? I'm so good. Uh, wait, that's such a lie. I'm not so good. I'm okay. <laughs> uh, I saw Live From Here yesterday do you know that that's the new name for the old garrison keeler show oh okay i didn't know that okay do you know that npr got so angry with garrison keeler that they renamed the new show that chris Thiele now hosts well i just learned that yeah. well so used to be a prairie home companion and now it's chris Thiele. and then after the garrison keeler debacle they pulled all of the this is like pretty i've never I was surprised that NPR did that. They pulled the whole archive of Prairie Home Companion off of their wow. website, and they renamed the show to Live From Here. So yeah. they they usually tape in St. Paul, but they had a taping in Minneapolis, and Dessa, a local rap rapper, a rapper, hip-hopper, uh, was a mm-hmm. part of the show. <laughs> and uh, the Shaky Graves were a part of the show, which usually mm-hmm. I would not care about, but the singer for the Shaky Graves had a very brief spot on Friday Night Lights. Oh, neat. he was. Yeah, he was one. Of, he was the lifeguard, one of the lifeguards when Julia was a lifeguard. Cool. For a okay. summer. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So that was neat. And it was just kind of it was cool to see a live broadcast of a radio show, like an old variety program that used to be big in the 20s and 30s. Mm-hmm. So the media nerd in me enjoyed that. Uh, and then the only big thing to report is that I'm going to Atlanta next weekend for to give a talk about bike stuff. So I will be doing that with that uh, is, civil bikes. Yeah, that is so exciting because they're like reading your book for their like book club, right? Yeah. So I'll get to talk with a bunch of people that read my book so we can get really detailed about it. And they have some uh, beginning um, iterations of bike gentrification happening down there. So they're excited to hear more about it. Yeah. About my thoughts. And I don't know. It's just going to be really cool. I've always wanted to go to Atlanta. I've always wanted to go on the civil bikes tour that Nedra puts on. That's mm-hmm. part of this organization. Yeah. She takes I people around amazing. to different. And I hope you yeah. feel really good about your book making a difference on the ground, which is what your goal was, which is so, 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 so cool. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, how, how are you doing? I'm pretty good right now. I I feel a little bit recharged. The week was kind of up and down. 
I had a really nice night Wednesday night. Uh, I mentioned last week that my friend from Chicago, Emily Jane Powers, was going to play a show in my living room, and she did, and it was really lovely. And she's just so fucking talented. And uh, we also had two other really talented musicians play that night, and it was just a nice, it was a really nice night. But sort of bookending that was uh, lots of uh, hourly wage work at the yoga studio, which, again, while I'm there, is very good and feels good in my soul and spirit. But it's I was at the studio till 11 o'clock at night, two nights in a row, and then had to be there the next morning at 7 a.m. And it's just it's just been a lot. But I feel recharged now, even though I worked yesterday and today still. But I had two afternoons to work more on these fellowship applications that I'm doing. And that feels really rejuvenating. And um, so I'm trying to practice gratitude about that. And trying to shift my attitude to be more positive again because I was definitely in a funk the last couple weeks. So that's that. No other major news on my end. Is it still winter in Boston? Yeah, although the last two days this weekend, we actually had sunshine in a way that sort of made the like high 40, low 50 degree days feel kind of warm. So it's I would say it's actually spring, but we did have a snow this past week. We had some more snow um, on Friday, I think, actually. So it's snowing out uh, right now. Yeah, it's up and down. It's wacky, but it does say mid 60s this coming week. How about you guys? Um, it's snowing right now. I can see snow. Oh, wow. Okay. Outside and it's going to be I guess we're going to get a, a day or two of 50 degree weather, but then it's going to go back down to the 30s and our mm-hmm. usual high at this point is 50 degrees. Uh, so, yeah. 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 And I usually don't care that because obviously right. we're like the winter people, but it's just getting to the point where it's it's just like it's actually screwing up my system, like my routine, yeah. because like we were in seasoned states. And so like I'm not realizing that like the semester is almost over because right. totally, it's still totally. snowing. Yep. And and then this the with the sun, with this daylight savings time, it's like, why is it so bright out? It's still snowing out. Like, it's just it's really messing with my whole. Right thing totally. my vibe so that's that hey uh do you want to get into today's topic i do want to get to today's topic we are talking about roseanne as well as more broadly representations of working class people on television and we are discussing this because a our facebook group slash listeners slash community of friends said that this was the topic they would be interested in hearing more about. So thank you for that feedback. Uh, Roseanne has definitely been in the news in if you follow sort of um, pop culture stuff and also like critical uh, or cultural criticism rather uh, on pop culture. So it's doing very well. It had 27, over 27 million viewers the first week. Um, ABC came in number one as a network. Thank you, Melody, for doing that research. <laughs> and it's a big deal because the show was a really, really big deal back in the 90s for a lot of reasons, late 80s, early 90s, as we'll talk about. But it's also a really big deal because Roseanne, outs- Roseanne as a as a human, not, not her character on the show, but also her character on the show, um, have very controversial politics. And Roseanne Barr, the woman, has said, first of all, voted for Trump, has said... Zionist things, transphobic things, etc. 
And her character is a Trump supporter as well. Uh, so there's just a lot of discussion and buzz around it. Do you want to say anything else about why we're sort of talking about it? I wanted to also bring up the fact that it's fairly obvious for those of you that are in social media that this reboot, as they're calling it, which has been a uh, common thing that's been going on with 90s sitcoms. Will and Grace is another one that mm-hmm. was problematic when it came out. And, you know, this has gotten like a lot of feedback, like a lot of negative feedback, a lot of positive feedback. The show is just creating a lot of discussion. And some of it, some of it is based on obviously Roseanne being a Trump supporter now, but also there's the roots in nostalgia that people are like tapping back into. And so mm-hmm. I would say like my personal at- attachment to it, you know, is like impacting how I feel about the show. But totally. then also when you mentioned the ratings, because that is really what's getting a lot of headlines or at least did the first week when the show first premiered. I also wanted to note that they did a very creative marketing strategy on Twitter where they actually had Twitter bots remind you that Roseanne was about to come on. Hmm, And so the and it started from the Oscars when they were promoting Mm -hmm. Roseanne. And so I like checked on checked on Twitter during the Oscars and they said something like, if you like this tweet, we'll remind you. And I was like, okay, let me just see what happens. And they literally sent you a reminder tweet right before the show was going to start. And so I think it's impossible to know how much viewership was based on that Twitter campaign, but they were definitely using new ways to get those ratings up. Right. Uh, And so that's just another kind of techie thing that I wanted to bring up. And uh, I don't think we agree on Roseanne, the show. So I'm excited to uh, talk to you you about it. I don't know that we do or that we don't. Do you, should we, do you want to dive into Roseanne right away? Or should we sort of give a brief history of working class representation on TV? Because this is actually like there is an sort of academic subfield of representation studies that uh, that do focus specifically on class. So should we do a quick overview of that? Definitely. Yes. Let's do the literature review portion of the episode first and then dig in. Perfect. So first of all, it's important to note, as many scholars before us have noted, that Roseanne is not the first show that represents working class people. Shows like Maude, Good Times, All in the Family, Stanford and Son, Stanford and Son came before Roseanne, and uh, it, it had shows that were happening alongside of it, like Family Matters, Married with Children, uh, The Simpsons, etc., and Grace Under Fire, which uh, actually was another show that felt very, very important to my childhood. So did Married with Children, actually, but for those for the same reasons, for having representations of of uh, working class families. So it's so a lot of scholars are quick to say, "Hey, Roseanne is not the first time that this happened." It's also important to note, and this comes up in an article that I've taught in classes before called Class Dismissed, Roseanne and the Changing Face of Working Class Iconography by Julie Betty, that, you know, obviously we need to think very deeply about race when we think about representations of class, because what Betty is arguing is um, something that I think is very important and something I was kind of the basis of one of the reasons I wanted to write my dissertation about queer folks in the labor movement and queer POC people in particular, is that the popular imaginary of the working class, and this actually came up on our episode a a couple weeks ago about who the working class is, but we have this sort of cultural imaginary of this white factory worker, this white male factory worker, and that's who the working class is. And 
what we don't envision are, you know, the immigrant food service workers, the black women cashiers, and so on and so on. What Betty is saying is Roseanne does slightly challenge those narratives because it centers on a woman. She, for I think almost all of the show, works as a waitress at a restaurant, or at least for a portion of the show. Um, I haven't gone back and watched the entire uh, series since I first watched it as a kid. So somebody can fact check me on that. But so so the centering on a woman rather than sort of Archie Bunker or even even black men in things like Sanford and Son, et cetera. So we need to think about race. We need to think about gender. If we're going to talk about class, obviously, that's just sort of basic intersectional analysis. I'm going to pause there. Do you want to jump in? I would also add that the scholarship focused on the narratives and probably you're going to get to this but like how the working class were represented so were we supposed to empathize with them were they seen as problematic so like with the wire a more uh, modern version of working class representations the we were supposed to sympathize with the drug dealers and with the drug pushers Uh, Mm -hmm. and so i was thinking about that with roseanne as well with some of the critiques that have been coming up as of late is and the same with the simpsons and all the other shows that you listed is not only the representations but how is the audience encouraged to relate or not relate to the characters totally yeah and that's very much about um sort of the decoding process we've talked about Stuart hall on the show a number of times so this idea of how audiences are interpreting the images on the screen matters kind of regardless of what the writers and producers are intending, although that that could matter. But either way, whatever the writers and producers are intending, audiences are still going to take from it what they take from it, which could be sympathetic views or could be antagonistic views or, um, you know, sort of uh, comedic views, etc. What I think it's interesting, so the things that I was listing, the television shows I was listing, I actually snagged from an Anne Helen Peterson article that I'll be quoting later, so I'll definitely give her credit. Because, and she's mentioning sort of contemporary examples, and she mentions Friday Night Lights and um, Fresh Off the Boat and Shameless and Atlanta. And so I wanted to add in some, including The Wire, but I think things, what's interesting, I really think, is that white supremacy and sort of racialized understandings of class is so deeply entrenched that I think a lot of people don't think about Atlanta and The Wire and shows that are predominantly about, or that center black poor people as shows about the working class, because our racial sort of discourse is very much like black people are poor, white people are working class. And so I think that it's interesting to think about what has stood up as sort of working class shows. And that goes back to the Julie Betty essay about this image of the sort of like white factory worker. So just I think it's important to, to point that out. And what we see not only on uh, fictional television, but we hear a lot of that in the news in terms of how poor folks are talked about once they have also um, a racial category. So can can I just jump in there? Because we've also talked about And this is something that the Betty article talks about as well, the concept of the white working or the the white trash, the white trash symbolism. Mm -hmm. And and so there is a time in which whiteness is centered or talked about, like the race is then brought up. And I feel like that that did happen on Friday Night Lights. The whiteness was fairly obvious. Yes. Um, And so how does that so how does that critique of understanding working class to often just assume to be a white factory worker. How does that work then with scholars that also want to highlight and talk about the the white trash 
characters as well. Do you see what I'm getting at? No, I, I, I don't it's, think it's I understand more, the question. It's like a curiosity question. Like, so at the same time that we need to be talking more about was the scholars so turn because sort of one of the critiques is that we don't focus enough on the the diversity of the working class. So we need to focus less on on the white working class. So how can we still talk about whiteness in the working class and white trash? Not necessarily, but like was was the was the move in academia to identify and mark white trash as a character form on TV was that an attempt to make that kind of scholarship more intersectional by being like we actually are going to call out that it's about whiteness in this in this TV show absolutely yeah so whiteness studies is actually I mean that's a kind of a relatively new or the the sort of the concept of whiteness is actually a relatively new sort of academic concept and one of the things that came out of that is and critical race theory has been doing these same things but now we just this is fucking academia like now we have a name for like this subcategory of critical race theory and people have criticisms of whiteness studies because it feels like obviously it centers white people but I think good whiteness work is pointing out that whiteness is a construct that some people have access to and some people don't, including white people. Um, So when you put class, like uh, low income class onto a white person, some of their whiteness, sort of capital W whiteness, is taken down a notch, which is why the only time that we name whiteness, that we have pejorative names for whiteness, is white trash and redneck. Those are the only times that whiteness is named as, you know, in the same way that we have obviously racial slurs for uh, people of color in, in our social you know, sphere. Naming whiteness in relation to class, that's primarily the only time it comes up is when they're, you know, like low income white people. So that, yeah, I think that's very intentional to say we need to point this out because the concept of whiteness is when you mark all of these boxes and actually whiteness is inclusive of a particular class decorum and class status. So sometimes you, there would, when Obama was president, some people would talk about how he uh, had access to whiteness in his behavior. And there's been, you know, discussions of of other people, sort of this concept of performing whiteness and having access to whiteness and not having access to whiteness. Does that make sense? Yes. Thank you for explaining that. Sure. So. Sure. <laughs> you're welcome. I was just going to say if, if any of the audience like feels like I was off on any of that. I mean, obviously, always, as always, jump in. We'll do our accountability corner. One other thing I want to mention before we dive into Roseanne is thinking about reality shows. And I think it's very interesting to th- think about how the... So I wrote this in the show notes, and now I'm actually having second thoughts. I was going to say the vast majority of our reality shows are about wealthy people. So the Kardashians... Um, what's the crib cribs mtv cribs um matchmaker millionaire you know all of these shows that are largely about rich people some people sort of refer to it as aspiration porn and sort of this um uh showing mass audiences that the american dream is possible you can be rich too so that we still keep trying to work and obtain obtain these things that happen to almost nobody and that also happen as a result of exploiting the people who you know are never going to get there but now that i'm thinking about it there are shows like uh hoarders and honey boo boo uh and jersey shore that do follow folks who are not rich so i don't know what are your thoughts on reality television's relationship to class i think it is connected to class because it's also connected to consumerism and capitalism and laurie Olette's argument about reality TV representing the neoliberalism 
capitalistic society that we live in, in that even when there are working class representations, either A, they're being they're like the butt of a joke, right? We're supposed to be making fun of them. So it's not anything that we want to obtain Mm -hmm. versus like the more high end reality shows. Those are things that we're kind of trained to to want and to want to uh, attain. And then also, there's that when it's not upper class people, so let's say it's undercover boss, right? When it's mm-hmm, like working class mm-hmm. people and they have to deal, their their boss goes undercover to see like basically how shitty their working conditions are. Mm-hmm. And then the boss like, you know, finds Jesus or whatever and then is like, here, I'll fix it for <laughs> right. you one specific person. Right. It's all about maintaining your class status and, and not yep. moving in that, in that way. And so I, I'm still with you on it. I mean, yes, of course, there's exceptions to the rule. But it's very rare that we have a reality TV show based in the working class in which we are trained or encouraged to empathize or see that as a a good place to be in society. It's always like, how can we get you out of here? Uh, We'll build you a new home, right? Things that will get them out of that class status. Right. And we would be remiss not to mention uh, Lori Ouellette, who we studied with at University of Minnesota. She wrote a book with James Hay. Uh, about reality television as sort of a neoliberal disciplining mechanism that talks about this exact thing, in, including things like extreme home makeover, in which the the solution to poverty or a storm, you know, they did a lot sort of on the aftermath of poor communities that were ravaged by natural disasters, quote unquote, natural disasters. And then the solution was to have, you know, Disney basically come in and build a new home <laughs> that, um, that, the pe- that often there's all these stories about people who can't afford the house after Disney packs up and leaves and then they're fucked all over again. So yeah, clearly nothing structural is changing in those situations and yet we're supposed to like cry and be so moved by Disney's benevolence. So, so yeah, there's, there's that. So with that, I'd love to dive more into the details of the current uh, reboot of Roseanne. But first, Melody, where can our listeners find us on the internet? As you take in all of the things that Rachel just taught you, I would like to remind you that you can find us, FKJ PhD, in select places. You should subscribe to us if you haven't already using your favorite podcast application. Leave us a review on iTunes via your iTunes app or through your desktop computer. On the social media tip, you can follow our Instagram account, Twitter, and Facebook page. Just search for our podcast name. On Facebook, though, uh, we also have a closed community group called Feminist Killjoys Community-WTF Power! And that's where Rachel posed the question of what we should do our episode on this week, and we got feedback. So if you want to know where all those conversations are happening, it's happening there. On Spotify, which I also have, uh, we have a mixtape of all of our outro music, most of it anyways, uh, Feminist Killjoys PhD mixtape. It is titled, so you should follow that on the FI. And if you have extra dollars and want to support a ton of new people who have decided that they also want to support feminist media makers, you can head over to Patreon and search for our podcast or go to our website, fkjphd.com, click on the birdie. You can leave a one-time donation there. Um, with patrons, though, uh, $1 a more a month gets you a free sticker mailed to you with a personal note, access to our Killjoy Review newsletter, and $5 or more a month gets you access to multiple stickers sent to you with a personal note, the review, and bonus episode content that we are producing twice a month now. And... 
Of course, if you want to get in touch with us personally, you can do Gmail, fkj.phd at gmail.com, or our phone number in the U.S., which is 414-858-7818. Thank you so much. And I just want to give a shout out. We are over our $300 a month goal, so we will be able to start uh, giving ourselves some humble payments each month, which we're so grateful for. So thank you to the most recent uh, donators, patrons, Skylar, Kelly, Melissa, and Sonia. Thank you so, 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 so much. On with the show. Roseanne. <laughs> Awesome. Little known fact, Melody and I actually did that song. No, I'm kidding. Anyway. I was uh, like, what, we did? <laughs> no, we didn't. Great. So, Roseanne, so you're watching it. So you watched it as a kid and you're watching it now. Is that correct? Yeah, I saw the first week's episodes last week when it was on. I was at an open house and I tried talk about new technology. I should check right now. But ABC, when I checked, I couldn't watch it at that point yet. Like the you could watch the first two episodes, but it was like locking me out of the third one. I had to verify my account through mm-hmm. Xfinity or some stupid shit. Mm-hmm. TV, network TV really pisses me off sometimes. Uh, so I yeah. haven't seen the third episode, but I've watched the first two. And I'm just going to assume that some of our listeners like have heard some of the criticism of the show, which I th- doesn't really necessarily stem too much from the narrative. Although I, I see that there are some critiques of how she dealt with the gender nonconforming child on the show. Mm-hmm. But it's really more about like who she is out- off the show outside of the show and how she's used social media and other platforms to uh, show her support of Donald Trump. Yes. And my like my cl- my the most simplest thing that I can say is like I just think that this is like the cr- the criticism is too much. Like I'm just going to be on this episode I'm going to be a supporter and defender of Roseanne, not because I like her politics, but I just think some of the stuff is like I'm a killjoy, but some of it is just getting like a little bit too much compared to how other TV producers, writers, and actors are treated. Interesting. Okay, I have. Um, See, that's why I'm... I told you we weren't going to agree. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not to the point where I'm boycotting the show, and I still think it's important and worthwhile to celebrate all that she's done for women, fat women, working class women, what's often described as unruly women. Now, granted, that's largely white folks, but um, there are lots of sort of anecdotal accounts of people of color talking about having identification with the show as well. So I think it's super important to celebrate what her accomplishments, including in this contemporary, in this current reboot, which I does, which I do think actually has value. But she said some really, really inexcusable things. I mean, her anti-Palestine views, her transphobic views, and the fact that she voted for a man who's doing so much harm to so many people, I think is really inexcusable. And certainly, I think you're right. She gets a lot more pushback than other people, and often men. I mean, maybe that's changing a little bit in the era of Me Too, but certainly we've spent many, many years supporting people who have problematic views. And we could really... I mean, we could say that about so many people just because somebody I mean, I, I don't it's not like I think voting for Hillary Clinton is like admirable. And I support plenty of actors who have voted for Hillary Clinton. So where I watch and engage in the, the work of many actors who did that. But I think it's really important to like 
be very critical of her really vitriolic and hateful and harmful views. Um, and I think it's, you know, as much as I'm going to not boycott it, like, I'll still like and circulate the think pieces that are slamming slamming her. Um, that said, let's sort of shift from, if you want, to shift from her who she is as a as Roseanne, not the character, and shift to her to the show. Because I think what I think you probably like about it and what I like about it is that they're actually giving space, blatant space, to discuss these political views and the, the nuances of them and the contradictions within them. Is, is that something you like about it? Yeah, that's why I am a little, I think I, I have some worry about all the critiques because I'm worried that people on the left, uh, you know, radical left, are just going to dismiss the show because they're going to read these critiques and obviously agree with them. Uh, and I watched the show before I heard about any of these critiques besides the basic Roseanne voted for Trump and is a Zionist mm-hmm. and is transphobic, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, but then when you actually watch the show, they give Roseanne, the Trump voter, and Dan Connor, who they don't really talk much about who you voted for, but he definitely has the ideologies of what you would assume to be a Trump voter. Um, he is the one that is actually not supportive of Darlene's son dressing in quote unquote girl clothes. And I should put son in quotes too, but on the show, he's identified as the son um, or the boy. But the fact that they're giving space, like you said, for Trump voters to act or for a Trump voter to like talk about their their viewpoints on air, I think is really important because from if we just remember the 2016 election, something that the news media fucked up royally is they didn't spend any time talking to Trump voters or giving them any space. And so what happened is like we created this false majority of people and there was this like really real backlash in working class, middle class, and upper class communities in regards to their support for Trump. And so, yes, in a perfect world, nobody would have voted for Trump. We would have had Hillary Clinton, another warmonger, problematic person. But we are living in a world in which Trump is in office. And I can see working class people and others that voted for Trump getting super upset that they're not being taken seriously for, (laughs) I mean, obviously for very good reasons. But If we're going to like work on, you know, this is like my peaceful pacifist, you know, pronouncement. But like if we're going to move forward at all, like we have to be able to watch shows like this and take them seriously instead of blowing them, just being like Roseanne's a piece of trash. And so I'm not going to watch her stuff anymore when she's actually doing really groundbreaking work on her show. And so that's the problem that I have is like, I am the first person to boycott something, not go to something, uh, stop buying a product because of what the company represents. But in this situation, I'm seeing so much work being done to kind of correct what happened during the 2016 election that I'm like, I'm not going to just fully dismiss it because I think in hindsight, when we look back on the show in 10 years, she's going to be doing the work that we're praising her for doing in the nineties as well. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, I think I, I actually think I agree with most of that, but we come back to this issue of decoding and this is, I'll, I'll read sort of the first quote that I pulled from one of the think pieces that I thought was, was 
uh, important. This is from Nicole Mason, a black writer who uh, originally talked about watching the show as a black child and really feeling like it transcended race in a lot of ways. She felt very connected to it as a working class black girl. And I'm just going to read her her quote in its entirety uh, from the end of her piece. It says, in the Roseanne reboot's premiere, Roseanne laments the high cost of prescription drugs. Becky considers surrogacy to turn a quick buck. And Darlene has moved back home and has a hard time finding a job. Classic Roseanne. When we catch up with the Connors, things haven't changed much, as with many working class people. This is the reality and truth of poverty. Over only a small fraction ever make it to the middle class, regardless of who is president or who wins racial uh, or, or one's racial or ethnic background. In truth, I can't figure out if the, rubit, the reboot is an indictment of working class whites who overwhelmingly voted for Trump and are getting very little in return, or if it is a nod to a growing narrative that attempts to define whites as the true working class in America at the expense of blacks and Latinos. In explicitly making Roseanne a Trump supporter, the show is prioritizing the politics that divide the working class over the thing that unites us, the fact that we all have so little. And I think that that's important because it demonstrates that whatever our interpretation of the work that the show is doing, other people could read it differently. And what a lot of people are saying is that it's sort of normalizing, um, supporting Trump and making sort of her a lovable figure anyway, even though I think that's borderline. Like she's kind of a hard to love person and um, kind of always has been on the show. But 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 we see, for example, uh, I think it might be Roxane Gay that talks about the specifically the interaction between her and her sister. So Aunt Becky is portrayed as an avid Hillary supporter. And they had so much tension between her and Roseanne as sisters on the show, the characters, that we meet the very first episode, we meet them in the midst of this fight where they haven't spoken in since the election. Because they're so they're so deeply committed to their their beliefs and Jackie is so angry that Roseanne could have voted for Trump and Roseanne is so angry that Jackie would have voted for Hillary. What I love about that is that it demonstrates divergence in the working class of political views. So Aunt Becky is also working class but vote is, you know, wearing her pink pussy hat and whatever and of course that's we don't get to see the sort of radical left working class people that I would like to see, but we we see this this Hillary supporter and this Trump supporter in in the same family, in the same class bracket, um, which I think is important. That said, they make up in the pilot episode, in the, or in the rather the the first episode of the, of the reboot season, kind of you know with with all forgotten, even though none of their political beliefs have changed. So some people find that problematic that there could be a reconciliation when somebody is is so committed to views that are harming so many people. But my response to that is as a working class person, like, and we talked about this in the class episode again, about this notion of disposability politics. You can't just like easily cut members of your family out because that's kind of all you have sometimes. And so disposability politics don't really work in working class spaces as much as they do in spaces where you don't need to rely on each other as much. So I just said a bunch of conflicting opinions in that spiel, but I don't know if you have thoughts on that original quote or anything I said after. Well, I think kind of moving backwards on on what you're saying, uh, Darlene is the one that brought them together because she had to move home to help. It's kind of unclear why she moved home. Uh, it seems to be a developing plot line, but she was really upset to move home and then realized that Aunt Becky wasn't coming over anymore. And so she forced them to come together. And I wouldn't say that they're reconciled. I mean, there wasn't some like, you know, fuzzy, warm hearted, like, I forgive you. Like they still 
dislike each other immensely. Um, but I also feel like that is so real. Like, that's why I really like the show. Even the reboot is like, yeah, sucks that Roseanne is a Trump supporter. But you know what? That is real. Like, there's so many families that went through that. And in terms of decoding, neither, like, you're not supposed to sympathize with either Roseanne or Aunt Becky. Like, they're both, or Jackie. I don't know why I keep saying Becky. That's the daughter. No. Um, They're both, like, kind of mockeries. Like, I would say Jackie is even, it's, like, kind of cringeworthy, like, how over the top she was as a Hillary supporter, especially where we are today, because I think it's supposed to be set, like, like now, not, like, a year ago. So... You know, we weren't it's not even the show's not encouraging you to take a pro Trump stance. And that's another thing that I get really angry about with the critiques. It's like just because there's a Trump voter on the show doesn't mean that it's brainwashing us to think that like supporting Donald Trump is n- normalized because, well, a it is. no. I mean, a lot of fucking people voted for him. So that right. is actually reality. So- like, I'm sorry, but that is. And I've had to face that in the classroom you know, for a lot of the time in my life, I live in a liberal bubble. But, you know, there is a lot of people that voted for Trump. And so she is reflecting reality. And we're not encouraged to be sympathetic towards her at all. She's always been an unlikable character. And I think in one of the critiques that you pulled out, uh, it's mentioning like Darlene kind of being the center of the kind of the person that we're supposed to focus on in terms of representing some more complex, uh, more up-to-date, I guess you could say, feminism or representations Mm -hmm. of of women. And so... You want to read that quote? Yeah. So this is from Anne Helen Peterson talking about Darlene. So she says... She asks a lot of questions. So she says about Darlene, what does it mean to be a feminist mother and outgrow your own mother's sense of what a strong woman might look like? How do you value your labor when the world does not? How do you deal with recalitrant, recalistrant? What does that mean? Recalcitrant. Um, recalcitrant. It's another fancier word, stubborn. I feel, like stubborn. Yeah. Okay. So how do you, let's say that again. <laughs> how do you deal with stubborn parents who nonetheless love you? How do you parent one child who wants to fit in and another who doesn't? Can you pretend that money doesn't matter when it does? And what if your dreams for yourself dwindled before your eyes? So I think those are the, those questions are what Darlene's character takes up and she's very much more the interesting character at this point because she has two children she's back at home with her parents she wants her her parent and her aunt to stop fighting over political stuff that darlene clearly cares about darlene was a very very stubborn recalcitrant Mm -hmm. person uh, when she was a kid on the show and so yeah i i don't i don't know that's my that's my response to all that we can stay on this but i also really want to talk about that the son the character on the show because what with what Roxanne Gay said but then also just kind of uh unpacking what what Roseanne's character represented with that son with her grandson on the show yeah so as Mel mentioned there's a gender non-conforming child who does identify as a boy uh there's an explicit conversation where Roseanne asks him if he feels like a boy or a girl and he says a boy sort of without hesitation but that he feels much better as himself in uh, girls' clothes. And so I think the the more important critique, I don't remember actually what Roxanne said, Gay said about the son in the article, but um, this is... A, a, it wasn't, a... I'm sorry, let me let me fact check myself. It wasn't, it was Antonio L. DeSore, DeSore. El Dorce. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Antonio Aldorce is a trans woman who her her critique of this is that um, using a child that is pre-adolescence is a cop out because it means that they get to have gender nonconformativity um, as sort of a First of all, it, it's it's not a trans person; it's a gender nonconforming person, and depending on your umbrella terms. But this this character on the show identifies as a boy, so using the language that we have, which is so limiting, but mm-hmm. we can, for all accounts of you know, p- potentially even a cis boy if this child knew the language, but who happens to like and prefer wearing girls' clothes, and so it doesn't even necessarily need to address what Dorsey is saying. Um, Things like hormonal transitions, surgical transitions, one, because it's sort of pre-adolescence and two, or or rather, and and this is important also because some of Roseanne's transphobic comments have been explicitly about um, uh, gender gender affirming procedures. So surgery, uh, different surgeries that trans people may or may not opt to to take, to have. Um, And so... This is from Dorsey. By using a kid who isn't in puberty yet, she avoids all the ugly stuff and actually is able to avoid the pronoun and social affirmation structure while still presenting an actual form of a gender nonconforming person who is totally fine, thus making any attack on such seem unreasonable. It is pretty brilliant, really. Trans representation of an underseen and often ignored or maligned GNC person while avoiding any acknowledgement of her own systemic and hostile transphobia. And this is also, you know, there's also a scene in which Roseanne basically sort of becomes kind of like the cis savior, if we want to sort of use tropes and language like that, to sort of defend her grandson. And so she, this person who's been, you know, blatantly transphobic is now writing herself as this uh, sort of hero to gender nonconforming children, um, which I think is maybe Dorsey's uh, problem. What's your response to that? I mean, this is tricky because I'm not going to, I'm not trans, you know, I'm, it's not my experience. I just feel like it's one of these moments where, again, the character for 27 million people to watch a grandma be supportive of her grandchild wearing girly, quote unquote, girly clothes to school is really powerful to see. And it fucking sucks that she is transphobic and says problematic things about people that she doesn't have a space really to say much about. But I don't want to take oh, just focusing so much on her, on her outside shit. Excuse my language. Is I feel like this is another space in which it's really distracting from what's going on on the show, which is what most people are hearing or watching, right? Like there's not that many people getting involved in this conversation that we're having, but there are a lot of people that watch that show and probably had, who knows, like could have related or, you know, maybe had their minds changed a little bit. I just... Yeah. I, I I get the critique. I just I think that it's it it's worth noting that she was the one that sat down and said, you know, she wasn't like, yay, I'm so glad that you are gender nonconforming and blah. That's more Darlene's like she's going to get there. Right. They're just yeah. worried about his safety at school right now. And she basically said, I'll protect you just just so you know, you're going to run into some problems. And he's like. That character is really interesting because he's like, I don't care. Like, this is me. I don't really mind. I'm ready 
basically to get bullied. Um, and Dan, like I said, Dan Connor's the asshole. Like he goes off into the garage. He doesn't even want to interact with his son and talk to him about it or his grandson. And so I want to, you know, that was the narrative on the show. If if we if it wasn't Roseanne, if it was somebody else, I feel like we'd be sitting here and being like, that was really awesome. Like, what a progressive moment on TV that 27 million people watched. Yeah. You know, because one of my other critiques from earlier on when you were listing some of the shows is that, you know, besides the sitcoms that happened on network TV in the 60s through the 90s, the more modern ones were people like, well, why don't you just watch this show on why don't you just watch this show instead? Well, because some of those are on HBO. They're yeah. on streaming services. Yep. Um, in terms of accessibility for working class people, ABC is free TV. Yep. And so you're not going to get a big audience watching Insecure or yep. um, other shows that you have to have cable for. Right. So yeah. that's also important to consider. Absolutely. A couple things in response to that. First, Dan went into the garage angry about Becky's surrogacy, not... Not his grand, not the grandson wearing those clothes. Thank he wasn't you. he wasn't great about it, but his real anger moment was about Becky doing going through with the surrogacy. Thank you. Um, yeah. So that's just just a yeah just a side Thank note. Thank you. And I yeah I mean I Dan Connor's not a perfect character, but I just love John Goodman so much. So I, so I just felt like I wanted to say that. Um, oh, I see how it is. Okay. Yeah, I just uh-huh. I, I really love him. Um, I no, I love him too. But I just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the second thing I want to say is something that I, a theory that I turn to a lot, which is an extension of Stuart Hall's decoding, and Jose Munoz talks about that himself, um, is Jose Munoz's theory of disidentification. And it's a lot more nuanced than what I'm about to say, but sort of a, a, a very simple version is this idea that Jose Munoz as a small, you know, young gay child, Latinx gay, gay child, found what he could in pop culture and clung to it. It's 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 like what we talked about with Celluloid Closet. It's mm-hmm. taking these imperfect crumbs of 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 identification and clinging onto it even if you have to ignore a bunch of problematic shit around it or mm-hmm. even if you have to ignore racial differences or things that may not map onto you perfectly of of finding ways to identify with things even if there are problems surrounding it. And so I think disidentification is applicable in in this context, um, particularly for this character, which you're right, may um, may be important to uh, to gender nonconforming uh, children uh, watching. So I so I would agree with you there as well. In terms of Roseanne's to just also briefly go back one more time to her personal beliefs, this is not me defending her. But one thing we sort of didn't man- mention about her importance uh, in in television in the 90s is that not only was she representing all these things on this show, but she was also did very difficult work to become the showrunner and take over the men that were trying yes. to make her character do these, you know, do things that she she didn't agree with as a feminist, you know, and she identified as a feminist. She identified as progressive. Her the, the Roseanne in the 90s was they were definitely a liberal family. Um, again, that's not that I'm a liberal, but they they were pro union. They had episodes about union busting. They very much had sort of a perspective on economics that um, mapped on to more progressive and even left leaning tendencies. And she was part of that. And so, again, as an abolitionist who believes people can change, I just want to say, like, she personally did have better politics. And we know that because she fought in a 
which in a really difficult battle, and there's a beautiful essay that she wrote that I used to teach prior to her her having the political view she has now, where she writes about this struggle as a woman getting gaining power in such a male-dominated in- industry. There's also a really lovely scene. George Clooney was a big ally, so we can all be fans of George Clooney because he was a very big ally and supporter of her in that struggle. So, okay, so that's some more backstory. She was a showrunner. She has, you know, say in this content, and it used to be really, like, almost, like, flawless content in terms of politicals. I, I'm not flawless, but much less to com- sort of critique, although I haven't gone back and watched it. But... In her, in terms of her real life, there was a period when she specifically talked about going, have, having a sort of mental breakdown, and it was partly due to the industry and being a woman in the industry. And she had a reality show that was called like Roseanne's Nuts, which was sort of a play on the fact that oh, she yeah. had, a, had a nervous breakdown and a mental breakdown. And she moved to a, a macadamia nut farm in Hawaii, and you know was trying to live her best life. And that was sort of the beginning of her political shift. But what I just want to say with all that is I have not heard or seen tweets in since the reboot happened that sort of are any of these egregious messages. So I would be curious. I haven't watched any interviews and we just I just didn't have enough time to spend more time on prepping, but it would have been good if I could have sat down and watched some of some talk shows and stuff uh, with her. But I am curious if perhaps her views are evolving again in a better direction. I don't know, but I just believe in the human capacity to evolve since we've already seen it with her in particular, that it could evolve again. So I think I'm just agreeing with you on that and just adding sort of explaining why. Okay. Yeah. Cool. (laughs) That's that. Yeah. And yeah, I, I also think the show, even, even with the Dan and Roseanne being Trump supporters, they are still talking about poor people's lives in a way that reflects poor people's lives. Their discussion about medicine, their discussion about, you know, the sort of jokes they have about not making money. Like, I remember things like that happening. It's the the way that they're taking care of each other, the, 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 the lengths that they're going to try to make money. Roseanne drives for Uber. Becky's trying to become a surrogate um, to make money. Darlene has to live at home. I mean... We, DJ joined the military. We haven't even addressed his black daughter, which, you know, I think we'll, we'll learn more about. Uh, but, you know, we have we now have this character that there's a black, you know, member of the family now. So there's, there is a lot of good stuff happening on it. And I'm, I'm going to keep watching. And I know that not everybody supports that. And I understand. And um, that's, I guess that's where that is. Anything else you want to say about it? My final thoughts, my wrap up is that I appreciate all of the critiques that have been written about Roseanne. And I usually am not so defensive about TV shows because I could take or leave a lot of media. But there's something within me that is kind of, mm, I don't want to say knee jerk, but like I am defensive of the show for a reason that I'm still kind of thinking through, but I think it's a, it's still a really important show. And I think some of it is because I can't forget all the awesome stuff that she did for the TV industry in the 90s. And, and I, you know, I am, I, I think because of my teaching, I am not supportive of Trump or any of his supporters, but I have to be more, oh, diplomatic 
because I teach them, right? And so mm-hmm. this this is all part of the same pie, American pie, if you will, that it, does, it doesn't help me any or any of the people who voted for Trump for me just to be like, I refuse to engage with you because what does that do, mm-hmm. you know? And so if I can... So I think that's what that's where I'm coming from. That mm-hmm. that it's from my teaching, it's from what a splash this is making on TV. And so whether I agree with the politics or not, I have to pay attention to it because of my job. And um she did a lot of good shit and you know, I was thinking about Obama a lot when I was writing up my show note responses today because, you know, he did a lot of shitty shit too, but I still really like him and respect him. And so I hope that people can see Roseanne in a similar way, although they hold very different positions of power in this world. It's a similar thing where somebody that we really, really love fucks up really, really bad. And then what do we do with it? You know, so Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to take a more diplomatic approach to Roseanne. Thank you. Mm -hmm. The end. Yeah. RWLs. What are you reading? You watching? You don't, to? you don't have a closing statement? Oh, well, that was my my closing statement was that I really think what it's what I said before about I think that they're handling topics that relate to people who live who are poor people and working class people really accurately. And or, mm-hmm. well, you know, everybody has a different experience, but I still resonate with a lot of what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Radical. Also, just one very quick thing. Uh, there's an Afghan blanket selling for $100 on Etsy. And I would oh, just like everybody this. to know that you can buy Afghan blankets at the thrift store of your choice for a dollar. And they're amazing <laughs> and very warm. But please do not buy $99 Afghans yeah. on Etsy. Yeah. As, <laughs> that's like a working. Uh, and I'm bringing up Afghans because that's what Roseanne has on her couch. That's the. Yes. Unless you have disposable income and want to support. Uh, an artist who's trying to sell their work, I guess. Uh, fair enough, except it's like a total... Okay, whatever. Okay. Yes, yeah. that's no, a complicated I hear you. Topic. It's complicated. I, but I was I like, you. oh, the Afghan that I have on my couch that I bought right. for $2. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, not to give up on... Okay, I just started a whole new topic. Okay, moving on to what I'm reading, watching, listening. Reading, watching, and listening with Rachel and Melody. I'm reading a book. This is very vulnerable vulnerable of me to say on air, but I'm reading this book called Chain to the Desk. It's about people who work a lot. It's called mm-hmm. workaholics, but I do not like that term. And so I in- instead like to say compulsively work. So I like mm-hmm. to work a lot. And I was kind of investigating that. And it's really interesting because it um, has you very quickly start thinking about your family of origin. And then mm-hmm. I was like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and so, yeah, I'm just getting, you know, I'm 35. I've been working a lot for a long time. And I have partner a partner in my life that gets impacted by it now. And so, you know, I'm uh, not going to talk about this anymore because you don't like it when I go on and on about what I'm reading, watching, no, listening to. I like it when you're vulnerable, though. So, ha ha! I got you to listen. Ha ha ha! Now I know how I can not talk gonna about things. Not going to cut you off that time. <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'll keep bringing it up because I think it's really um, it'll probably be very pertinent to a lot of our listeners who do great. activist oriented work, teaching work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so. I think it's that's been great. it's been good. It's been good to read through at a slow pace and not try to get it all done at once because that's what compulsively working people do. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm watching. Uh, my my students have sent me all a variety of Sinclair broadcasting clips. So I'm sure a lot of you have seen this where uh, Sinclair, the broadcasting company, had a bunch of different local affiliates 
say something very specific about fake news and biased news and over a hundred of their stations did it and they're just like oh what is the concept of a local news station saying the same thing that a hundred other local news stations are saying so um i can tweet that out but uh, i've been Mm -hmm. watching a variety of them because it's been a problem for a long time Mm -hmm. and then i'm i'm um having a throwback month to pearl jam Mm-hmm. I used to love. Did you know that I love Pearl Jam? I didn't know that that was like a band for you. Oh my gosh! I had this is when CDs were a thing. I have mm-hmm. every album. I have every single. I have the B sides mm-hmm. that they mm-hmm. produced. I mean, I loved Pearl Jam, and I saw them as much more mature and musically savvy than Bush. So that's how I got out of oh, my Bush face. Is that I was like, <laughs> oh my god! Like Eddie Vedder is like actually good, and like his music is just brilliant. Um, but he was still like the type of guy that I like, like long curly hair, like. You know, but had that like anger grungy thing going on, uh-huh. and now it turns out to be an activist for things. So I was just yeah, I've been on a Pearl Jam thing cool. for a minute. So very dark lyrics though. You have to watch out which song you listen to. Yeah, it's true. Um, yeah. Some stuff is pretty heavy, but yeah, he's good. Cool. I, li- I like the Eddie Vedder. He's very sexy. Also, just a good guy. What about you, RWLs? Uh, I'm still reading M Archive by Alexis Pauline Gums, and it's still brilliant and good. Uh, watching for uh, yoga teacher training, they have one of one night of the training program is like a movie night with a yoga related movie, and I actually hadn't seen the one that they chose this this round. Uh, it's called On Yoga. There's something after the colon, and I forgot to write it down. So On Yoga, it's on Netflix. Um, there's so many problems that could be discussed about it because it's this white guy. Granted, he doesn't just stay in white Western yoga spaces. He actually goes east and inter- interviews people who, who are culturally part of a tradition in which yoga began in. That's, that said, there's still a lot of critiques. But it is every scene is just full of really deep and beautiful wisdom that made made my, like, heart really full but made my brain just like <laughs> want to explode out of my head because it's really really difficult to be getting as yep. deep into my spirituality as I'm getting and trying to reconcile that with being an anti-capitalist who's constantly trying to um you know point out the impossibility of of these structures that we live under and sort of coincide that with the beliefs of like the the possibilities of oneness and enlightenment and all of this stuff that feels just so conflicting but it feels so important to continue to like examine these more spiritual principles and realms so i'm just having a i'm having a lot of feelings about about my activist and spiritual life and how they blend but it's a it was a good movie to trigger all those thoughts on yoga Listening to, um, even though this hasn't been consistently spring weather, I'm getting into music that will be sort of my spring music, which includes the new Hopalong album, the new Police album, which actually isn't that new. It's kind of weird, but the first song on that album is like, I just like want to have a dinner party and have be it be warm enough for people to go inside and outside. It's like a beautiful song. Um, and then, of course, Emily Jane Powers has been rotating on my playlist as well since her new album came out so yeah 
Do you know that Plisa is from Minneapolis? And I did Ch- know that. Channing yeah. goes to like activist meetings, and I've cool. just walked by her. Yeah, Rad. she has another band that Dakota told me about, Roma de Luna, that they haven't put oh, anything yeah. out for a while, but they have a new album out like yesterday. So I literally didn't know that that was her. I like, oh, I've I like literally Roma de Luna a lot. Oh, I've like never heard them. So there they you do go. A, they do a cover of Aeroplane Over the Sea that I've used in my yoga classes a lot. It's beautiful. The cool. more you know. Mm-hmm. WTF. Power. The pink bull. The pink bull. With whom they think they know. But I keep it a secret. Even you don't think it's so. Thank you. 